Welcome to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. My pronouns are he, him, his. Kat Kellermeyer is a non-binary author from Salt Lake City with a background in community organizing. They were raised up in the LDS Church and stayed a member until their coming out at the age of 24. Since then, Kat has been a vocal advocate for the queer community in Utah, especially in issues concerning the LDS Church and local queer policy. Here is my October 27th conversation with Kat Kellermeyer. Welcome to Nathan Out Loud, Kat. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you know, it, in episode one of the podcast, I mentioned uh, the piece that you wrote on Out.com uh, last year, and we'll get that get to that in a moment. Uh, but there's a question that I get all the time, and I wanted to get your insight on the topic. Absolutely. <laughs> We're talking about pronouns and why pronouns are so important. So for me, like, this is actually always really excited when, like, somebody brings up this conversation for me because I, I actually identify as a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. And um, when I first came out, I said, you know, my pronouns were were they, them, she, her. But as I've, as I've like, progressed in my identity and become more comfortable, I'm definitely leaning more into the they, them. So I feel like any time that, like, a, a place makes it a welcome thing to discuss pronouns, to make it easy for somebody who may be worried about disclosing their pronouns to do that. That's always like a huge step of allyship. That is like a really casual thing that everybody can do in their everyday life. Yeah. And how do you share your personal pronouns? Uh, Honestly, like I, (laughs) I will do that thing where I'm like, Oh, hi, I'm Kat. I go by they, them. What are your pronouns? Like I will just like, get it out of the air like immediately like I'm I'm at that point now where I just will let people know exactly who I am exactly where I stand and that like this is the situation so if you're going to tap out like now's the time to do so (laughs) (laughs) well and I think that does set it up for you know a more open and comfortable conversation or you know kind of sets the baseline um how do you generally respond if somebody uses uh the incorrect pronouns Honestly, like I, I try to be very patient. I recognize that for like a lot of people, sometimes it is a, a new thing. I'm encountering this. I am, I'm slowly coming out at my business place, which has been mm-hmm. an adventure. But um, holding people accountable for my pronouns, it, it's very, I feel like <laughs> it becomes very obvious for people who, who are outside of the binary gender when somebody is misgendering you out of out of negligence out of malice out of disregard like all of those emotions feel differently versus a friend who is genuinely making the the effort so it's that thing of like the conversation can vary in levels of spiciness for sure but (laughs) for the most part usually it's, it's a gentle prompt of you know like hey just a reminder they them and uh, sometimes people will do the, oh, I'm so sorry. No, no. And it's, I, there's a very quick conversation I have right there, too, which is just like, look, like when you, I appreciate what you're doing, but when you do this, you're forcing me to apologize to you about you offending me. Mm-hmm. I, am now, I am now in a position where I have to comfort you because you misgendered or misidentified me. And that's not a fun situation for either of us. So rather than the rigmarole of, oh, my God, I'm trying so hard. It's so different. Just like, no, it's, it's cool. <laughs> just just be like, she, oh, they continue on. Yep. It's, 
real easy. So like having those coaching conversations early and often as, as right. management <laughs> would like to say, but I feel like that, that often helps with the situation a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I've noticed a lot of, even in professional situations, people putting them in their email signatures, um, yeah, yeah. which I think is a great thing. And it really brings a lot of uh, visibility to the, you know, to the importance of pronouns and respecting, mm-hmm. uh, e- you know, each other in that way. Um, and I also uh, came across this organization called mypronouns.org, uh, which is a great resource if anybody wants to check that out. Um, and there's also an International Pronouns Day, which was just last week, which I, I wasn't aware of. Yes. <laughs> it's always fun. Like, I, I feel like I'm always, like, learning about these days, like, as they're coming up. And it's always just an excuse for me to, like, kick in the door and just be like, surprise, everybody, I'm still non-binary. Right. <laughs> it's always fun <laughs> to yeah. celebrate those moments in those days and just remind right. everybody. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great information. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate you sharing sharing that. Um, so part of Nathan Out Loud and, you know, when I initially started it, you know, over a decade ago and since then I've kind of taken a break, just coming back out. Um, one of the main things that I wanted to do was to allow people to share their coming out story. And I know for all of us, it's different for all of us. It's, you know, could still be a daily thing. Um, mm-hmm. So if what, you know, aspect of your coming out story do you feel is, you know, the most meaningful or the most, um, you know, something that you have in common with other people or, you know, on the opposite end, what made your story unique? I, I feel like I have a story that is, I don't want to say necessarily fully typical of the, of the Mormon experience, the Utah Mormon experience, but also I feel like there's a lot of shades of it. I think mm-hmm. if, if there's anything unique about it, uh, like I, I say unique, uh, I, I was out to a handful of friends and a handful of people in college. And around that time was when uh, marriage equality really started picking up steam. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time, like, at this point, I was out to friends. I knew who I was. I, I'd known who I'd been for some time. And if I'm, if I'm really honest, one of the things that really kept me in the closet for a lot of my childhood was uh, I had several friends who were out. Mm. And of those friends, I had several of them that uh, were spirited away to, uh, you know, different conversion therapy camps, the Boys mm. Ranch, Evergreen, different projects where like they just left for a summer and they came back someone different. Mm-hmm. So like for a long time, I fully buried any trace any trace my parents were shook (laughs) when I came (laughs) out but um the thing that finally did it was uh marriage equality it was that it was that fun little weekend where they accidentally allowed same-sex marriages to happen (laughs) for a whole weekend and uh of course like the second that they realized what they had done they were like no 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 shut it down shut it down and there were rally after rally after a rally up at the uh the state capitol and at the time i was living on capitol hill with my roommate at the time um and we both would go up there just like take the short like two block walk up a straight sheer cliff Mm -hmm. to get to the capitol hill uh building and we would go and protest and i i was making i was starting to be more vocally political and more aggressive about 
these topics. And I remember my dad just split into my DMs and was like, hey, you're not a part of this community and you're being really like, you don't have to go this hard. You can hmm. use the issue. You should probably like turn it down. You should tone it down a bit. And I just like, I had that moment of like the click of, of no, I'm not, I'm not playing this game anymore. And I just, I came out to him in a message. And at the very end of that message, I said to him, Hey, BT dubs, not ready for mom to know. Mm -hmm. Don't show her this. Don't tell her. And um, he sent me back a very, like, very, very boilerplate, like, I love you, you're my child, blah, blah, blah. Like, the, the very, like, this is the answer I'm supposed to give you. You're still my mm -hmm. kid and I love you. But, of course, you know, being LDS, that, that complicates those waters quite a bit. But for the, the twist, the, to the unique part of it is uh, it was three days later that my father messaged me again and was like, hey, so your mom may have found out <laughs> that hmm. you're gay and she may be having a hard time with it and just, just give her her space. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a while. Like to this day, he still will not admit that he showed her the, the letters. It's some convoluted story of, oh, I handed her the phone. I didn't notice. I had no idea. And I'm like, no, no, no. I know what happened. But she like... It, it took her some time. It was a really long, hard period for us. My parents had a hard time and I can't say that they, I feel like my mom has come to terms with it and in a, in a beautiful way and not the like, I, I accept you, but it hurts way, like the actual deep loves for me. But I think right. my father still struggles a little bit with the identity, but it's been like, it's been a long time of healing. And I feel like that's, that's really what I, I will tell people about my coming out story is like, this was a hard, painful thing. It, it remains a weird bruise that we're all aware of. But at the end of the day, like, I've managed to, like, I don't want to say salvage, but we've those long, hard conversations, learning how to communicate to my parents in a way that I feel like bridges that gap of understanding and trying to show them the beauty that is my community, the, the empathy, the compassion, and getting them to see who we actually are has really changed and softened them and softened their, like, all their preconceived notions. They are very different people than they were, you know, eight to 10 years ago mm -hmm. when everything started happening <laughs> in our mm -hmm. family, but, you know. That's but wonderful. No, it was, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, it, you know, you talk about kind of the ongoing healing and <laughs> I think part of, you know, I came out 20 years ago and um, I had, you know, had the same, a similar experience with my family. You know, my mom uh, and dad were both, you know, we love you no matter what, you're our son, you know, all of that. Um, and there have been various kind of phases. There's always the but, you know? <laughs> right. We love you so much, but right. <laughs> you've got to bring the gay thing around. Right. Like. <laughs> or we'll pray for you, or, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, You're in our thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so part of doing Nathan Out Loud was, I think, kind of to deal with that, kind of a cathartic way of, you know, yeah. sharing stories, making other people feel like, um, you know, they're not you you know they're not alone 
Yeah. A lot of and people I'm sure, have like, gone it's through that this. thing of like the more of these coming out stories you hear, the more like the more you realize we all share that weird core, you know, mm-hmm. like, I feel like it's, it's that thing of when you enter a room full of other queer people, there's this immediate sense of community because on a, on a weird, like base wavelength, you guys have all been through the same trauma in mm-hmm. a weird way, you know? Right. And varying degrees. I mean, you mentioned the uh, friends going through conversion therapy and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, luckily, I didn't experience that. And, you know, also, thankfully, that is kind of on its way out. And I know that Utah passed a mm-hmm. ban on conversion therapy this year. Um, so that's good news. Mm-hmm. But there there has been a lot of harm caused. And so, you know, I think as we have these conversations, it, it kind of helps people understand how, you know, everything from misgendering people to, you know, saying I love you, but to, you know, all of those things. And you, you know, you, you explained those in a way in the article, um, or in, you know, your commentary on out that really kind of struck a chord with me. Um, and I think probably with a lot of people who grew up Mormon and had to go through the process of coming out to their families. Yeah. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. And you started the article off saying, um, any queer Mormon or former Mormon can probably tell you where you were on November 5th, 2015. And mm-hmm. <laughs> until I read this, I had not thought about that day in about four years, I guess it was. And but you knew immediately, didn't you? <laughs> you did. like the second you read that line, you're like, frick, I know exactly where I was. <laughs> it was, and it, it brought back a conversation. So I was at work and um, one of my colleagues or an attorney at the firm that I worked for was an LDS guy who was one of is one of the most amazing people that I know. And mm-hmm. he came and like stood in my office door with this like look on his face that was just horrifying. I was like, Joel, what's wrong? He's like <laughs> kind of getting emotional as I'm talking about it now. Wow. <laughs> Five oh, years oh, later. Man. But he's like you know, he's like, Nathan, I'm so sorry. He's like I don't know why the church does this. (laughs) And we had a really long conversation, um, you know, a a meaningful conversation about uh, how he realizes the harm that things like that, uh, you know, the policy or, you know, proclamation that they came out with, um, the damage that that does. And for me, you know, I had left the church 20 years before I had, um, you know, not really been involved, even though a majority of my family still is. Um, and so I was like, you know, Joel, it's fine. <laughs> you know, and yeah. because for me personally, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was concerned about. You know, it wasn't something that was front of mind, but you bring up in the, in the article, how devastating it was for people in Utah. I wasn't in Utah and, you know, I didn't have that, you know, community and culture that is all encompassing essentially in Utah. Oh, you can't um, escape. You can't escape the shadow of the Mormon church in the right. state. You know, it, yeah. it's omnipresent whether you want it to be or not down to like how much alcohol you're allowed to purchase, whether or not you're allowed to use cannabis to treat yourself as a medicine. Like mm-hmm. it's 
at the end of the day, it's all decided by the church and the, I'm trying to remember the statistic. I, I did a, I did an a action back in 2017. And I think that the statistic was something like 98% of local legislators are mm -hmm. like LDS. So at that point, it just, it doesn't matter what the voters do. If the, if the church says something, it's gonna, it's gonna become the word of the law. So whenever the church releases policy like this that says, you know, like all queer people are apostates now, all queer people, like this puts your kids at risk for being able to be baptized. This puts you at risk for being able to enter super VIP heaven. This puts you mm. at all sorts of risks. And that always, always trickles down into the policy and procedure here in Utah, mm -hmm. just naturally. And it, it was rough to see because it was it was very much everything from the first thing I did where I was <laughs> the day that this all happened. Uh, I was at work. Um, I had seen it on the news before before any of my friends had told me. And the first person I messaged was the same roommate that I had been living on Capitol Hill with. Um, he's he was and is still seeing. They're still together. Um, a young man who was also out, also queer, but also still very involved with the LDS church at the time. Hmm. And that dissonance had already been like tearing him apart. And I was just like terrified. I just like stepped off the sales floor and just sent a little message and was like, hey, how is he doing? Like, how are you? How is he? Y'all okay? Y'all somewhere safe? Y'all gonna hmm. take care of yourselves tonight? You know, and, and of course, like we all bunkered down, we all took care of each other. But then like the fallout in the coming months, it was that thing of people who had been amicably divorced for years, who had gone on to marry uh, same sex spouses, were suddenly having to contend with their, their ex spouses who were flying into hysterics because they're like, if I, if you don't, if we don't denounce you, our kids can't get baptized. And of course, like the rest of that algebraic equation is if our kids can't get baptized, they can't get sealed. If they can't get sealed and take out their endowments, they can't get into heaven. You're damning our children is essentially what that direct line is. You know, they, they won't right. say it quite so straight out, but it was certainly the threat that felt lobbed on the table. We, we were being told that we were holding everybody spiritually hostage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard to kind of reconcile, you know, the, like you say in the article, how it's done out of love with uh, yep. <laughs> something that hurts so many people. Um, and, you know, frankly, I think it, it kind of speaks to the homogeny of the church and the, you know, Absolutely. the lack of, you know, a life experience for the most part outside of Salt Lake city or Utah or, mm -hmm. you know, the church. Um, you know, I have seen some things lately. Um, there's a general authority whose son came out, um, and just before general conference had, you know, was featured, I think it was in the Salt Lake Tribune. And there seems to be, you know, stories like that, one off stories where there are, you know, there's a general authority who has a gay son or a gay brother mm -hmm. or, you know, something like that, yes. <laughs> which you would hope would kind of educate and influence, you know, at least how it's communicated. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I've been so, you know, disconnected from the church for so long. Have you seen any of that change or? I don't feel like I have. And again, like you, I've been, and especially like this year specifically, I feel like I've been pretty disconnected from the church. I try to, I try to keep my, my Twitter alerts up. So if there's any like policy updates, we can mm-hmm. deal with that and, and push back. But no, for the most part, I feel like it's the strangest thing, especially here in Utah, immensely here in Utah is you will have people turn out by the thousands to, you know, hang out with Imagine Dragons and say, we love gay people. You have huge sections of the church that aggressively, ferociously defend the queer community and want to express their love for them. And then you have a church that is just harden their hearts so much against it to steal their their lingo right but they really have just like hardened their hearts they're just not interested in it and at this point i feel like it's a point of pride more than anything it's that thing of we if we admit we were we were wrong Mm -hmm. then we have to admit we were wrong about other things and i think that that opens the door right (laughs) yeah i think it it opens yeah like you said it opens the door to okay so if you're wrong then you know there's i thought it was a revelation from god <laughs> you know it kind exactly. of goes really so to the, the core <laughs> to the core of you know kind of how they keep things going i think in a lot mm-hmm. of ways um i think it was oaks even that said like the church is not in the business of issuing apologies it's not a direct quote but it is it is out there mm-hmm. <laughs> i promise <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think even President Nelson has said things similar, you know, where mm-hmm. you may not agree, but it was God's plan. And, you know, it, yeah. it doesn't mean that, <laughs> that that we were wrong. Um, and you talk about really the epidemic of suicide in Utah. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's tragic. I mean, I see you know, posts on Facebook of family and friends who know somebody, you know, virtually every week, you know, it seems like it is something that is really out of control. And I'm wondering how you think, I know a a lot of them are part of the LGBTQ community. A lot of them aren't, but I think that kind of at the, the core there is, you know, because of the religion absolutely, and because of the, you know, the insistence on perfection, mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that feeling like you need to measure up. Um, how do you think that can be addressed? I think that's such a, a big gateway. I feel like this, this is to get pretty heavy. Uh, I recently, very recently lost um a friend to suicide, like a childhood friend. And, um, in a post that his mother made on Facebook, she, she talked about how he loved dance. He loved all these, these activities, but that he carried around this, this great and terrible burden, which like, I remember I got, I got really mad. And like, I feel like that's, that's where I'm at these days is whenever I hear about this, I feel anger before I feel the sadness because mm-hmm. if the, I hate that we have a world that 
causes people so much pain for expressing who they are. And that we, like, especially in Utah, because it is this thing that, like, queerness especially, the we love you but problem, it's very much, the but is always there telling you to be quieter, be less gay, be less flashy, be less obvious that you are who you are. And when you minimize a person so much that they don't feel worthy of their family's love, of being able to love another human, that pain just festers and it doesn't get better. Like, and, and I feel like the thing that parents don't seem to understand is if your kid's queerness was not something that was shamed, if it was something that was celebrated, if it was something like celebrated, not tolerated, not endured, mm-hmm. but if, if it was celebrated, if it was, if you were curious about it and learned more and learned how beautiful and amazing the queer community actually is, it wouldn't be a hidden torment and your kid would still be alive. Like that's, that's really the bottom line at the end of the day is it, I think the thing that's hardest for youth here, and this goes for youth beyond just a a queerness, like, like epidemic of suicide. I feel like the problem is this disconnect between parents and kids. I feel like sometimes kids are lucky enough to fall into a group of friends that is enough to sustain them to adulthood. But when you have that wide rift of disconnect, when, when you don't necessarily fully align with the church and you recognize that as a young kid, when you recognize you're queer or when you recognize any sort of, of intersection of marginalization in the church and it no longer resonates with you, you are then immediately put at odds with your parents and your parents mm-hmm. have been conditioned to see any sort of rebellion in you as something that needs to be like quashed immediately as something that is quote dangerous, that is scary. Mm-hmm. That is the adversary instead of what it is just you being a person and coming to terms with the idea that your life is going to be lived differently than the way your parents was. And I feel like that, that, inability that inflexibility and the church team seems to be doubling down on this kind of language but this inflexibility for other walks of life like you are not allowed mm-hmm. to tolerate even um other people's quote earthly ways you are very much encouraged to to denounce those loudly and that is supposed to like reassure your own testimony So you find all of these Mm -hmm. parents at odds with their children, just, you know, constantly bearing their testimony to them. And it becomes that thing of like, eventually it becomes very apparent. And I I felt this way early on before my parents and I healed this trauma, but that at the end of the day, my parents were always going to pick the church over me. Like that was a reality to me for a very long time. And I feel like that's the reality Uh, for a lot of young people here. Yeah. It's sad. It's, it's really tragic. You know, you talk about kind of that, um, you know, kind of adolescent realization, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that there's something that's different about you or, um, you know, honestly, until I was, you know, probably 20, 21, I, I was still in Utah. I didn't have a name for it. I, you know, I, I'd met a couple gay people. I I just hadn't thought that it was a possibility for me. And 
you know. Well, and like being raised LDS, like it removes, it removes the possibility, especially I feel like when you're Mm. young, when you're told like, they'll never tell you outright queerness will lead you to unhappiness, but the the connections are so oh, people told me blatant. That. Like you'll never be happy. Yeah. You'll never have a good family. You'll never, I was told oh, that. that that hurts my soul. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's the biggest <laughs> lie that the, that you are told as a young person is that there is no community for you in queerness. There is no family. There is no, so like or even love or even be able to being able to have a fulfilling you know relationship or things like that exactly Uh, it was something i hadn't even thought about you know until probably probably about a month ago um when i was 14 i went to especially for youth at brigham young university in the early 90s (laughs) oh man we're dating ourselves now aren't we that, (laughs) (laughs) that was um you know that was an experience that I didn't even, you know, to this day, I think I just kind of, I, I realized something in that week, kind of the pain that I felt because I felt, you know, inadequacy and, you know, like there was something wrong with me. And at that point, like looking back, I didn't want to feel that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that point, I feel like I started removing myself from the church, you know, whether it be getting a job when I was 15 so I could work on Sundays and not have to go to church, yeah. or, you know, then kind of finding excuses for, you know, <laughs> I just don't feel well, you know, um, until, you know, really when I, I left home to go to, to the university of Utah mm-hmm. is when I essentially stopped participating in the church. Um, and, you talk of you've talked about you know kind of the healing and the bruises and um you know i two weeks ago i was like there's almost the stages of grief that you have to go through oh, yeah you know because mormonism and the family and you know all of that is so in, ingrained especially you know still having family members who are mormon and you know abide by that and you know oh yeah it's it's <laughs> the be all and end all of the world for them. Um, I thought that I dealt with a lot of it in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh so loudly, but that's I feel like no, that's the eternal journey. Is just like every time you're like, oh, I'm finally is. done with therapy, you turn around and there's a new stack of rocks, yep. and you're like, where did these come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, and you know, I. I feel kind of like I'm restarting the cycle of grief again, you know, kind of that anger that you talked about where something comes up and before you're sad about it, you're angry about it. And I think for a long time I was in denial about Mm -hmm. it. You know, like I said, when I had that conversation with my coworker, I just didn't want it to affect me um, Mm -hmm. where in reality it did. Um, How do you, how have you found yourself kind of dealing with those things and being able, like you said, kind of healing that relationship with your parents and finding a way forward? Well, I know that like one of the big things, like I've, I've been starting to do a lot of like mindfulness and trying to sit with those emotions, which is honestly something that I feel like the LDS church really kind of like shuns you away from. It took talking to one of my friends who, um, she was raised by two ex-Catholics, not religious at all, but is like 
fascinated with religion. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, I'm done with religion. Like you can have it. <laughs> go, go explore, go explore all the things. I'll tell you all the crazy, weird scriptural stuff I know. <laughs> but she, she was asking me, she's all like, there's something I don't understand. Like explain to me the Holy Ghost. So I, I and of course, like, I don't need to give you the, the spiel, but I started explaining to her, Oh, it's, you know, the still small voice and you feel good when good things happen. You feel bad with bad. And she's just like, full on stopped me and was all like, I just need to make you aware of something. Are you aware that your emotions were full on hijacked as a child? And what you were told is everything that aligned with church behavior would give you good feelings. And everything that was not aligned with church behavior would give you bad feelings. But like anger and fear and those emotions, those are good emotions. Those are important emotions that are telling you things. Something uh, that my therapist even has told me, um, because I, I have a hard time sitting with anger. I don't like being angry. It's, I, it makes me feel icky. But she told me, she said, a lot of times when we are experiencing anger, it's the emotion that is telling us that we don't deserve to be treated the way we're being treated, that something inequitable and unfair is happening to us. And... So sitting with those emotions and recognizing that like the negative emotions that are swirling around in me are not inherently bad, like sitting with sadness, sitting with anger for as long as I have to, for them to pass. And they, and they always do. But I feel like so much of, of how we were raised LDS is that feeling of the moment you feel fear, the moment you feel anger, the moment you feel any of these quote negative emotions. Even, even though we've removed ourselves from the church, and even though we've, we've moved past that, I feel like there's still that mental hijacking of, I'm feeling a negative emotion. I, I am somehow a bad or weak person. And mm -hmm. untangling a lot of those wires has been doing a lot for, for my own healing, recognizing that like, no, I'm allowed to feel sad. I'm allowed to feel scared. I'm allowed to feel them for as long as I feel them. And that's been hugely healing. So take time with your emotions. All of your emotions are valid and feel them for as long as you have to. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the church eventually reversed the 2015 policy. And, you know, however, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they continue... But. <laughs> right. And I think it goes to kind of the main point of your, your article, you know, they, they continue to marginalize, uh, LGBTQ people. Uh, they continue to, you know, put out anti LGBTQ rhetoric, you know, speeches. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay attention to general conference this year, so I don't know if there were any <laughs> you know, anti-gay speeches, For once I've, I've met but typically the there way. is at least one. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Typically, there is at least one, you know, just to remind people that uh, hey, our policy you know, hasn't still changed. LGBTQ. And that thing, too, of right. like when it was rolled back, it was like when the church does anything, it is usually with great fanfare. When the church rolled mm -hmm. back the November 15th policy update, it was very quietly. And more importantly, it was without any attempt at reparation. There was nothing of an apology there. There was nothing of an admission of guilt, of, of like an admission of, hey, maybe this policy wasn't directly from the big guy. There was 
no conversation like that happening. And it was, I feel like that's what incensed me most. I was actually, uh, I, I, a bunch of friends and I helped do a direct action that weekend. And we carried uh, pride flags and trans flags into the, the supported free speech areas, which was, may I add, a lot of fun to watch the, the crazy preachers that are always down there screaming that everybody's going to hell. They just did not know what to do sharing space with all of these, these very <laughs> obviously queer people holding rainbow flags. They were like, we're going we're gonna to leave, actually. We're just going to let this happen. But, yeah, but we, we went down there and it was just that thing of like, for all that the church knows that they love us. I remember I was standing next to um, one of my friend's ma who, who leaned over and there was, there was a couple of folks waiting, trying to get tickets and a, a little Latino couple. And she leaned over to me and she said, do you know what they said? And I said, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> great with Spanish. And she's a fluent speaker. And she just told me, she said, they, she's like, her husband just told her they should stand somewhere else because if they stand too close to us, nobody's going to give them their, their tickets. Hmm. So even like, even, even while the church was rolling back this harmful policy, members were still saying, oh, we can't stand by these people because it could put us at risk to not being able to go see conference. And like, if that's mm -hmm. not a perfect illustration of exactly how absolutely toothless them repealing it was like, I, I don't know what is, it hasn't changed the culture any and they have, they haven't done anything to change the culture. They'll claim to support legislation, but when they claim to support legislation and preach from the pulpit that queer people don't deserve the same rights as everybody, or that queer people are not worthy of marriages or families, that is always mm -hmm. reflected in Utah legislation. Hmm. You finished the article with a, with some, you know, a, a paragraph that, I'd like to read because it, <laughs> like I said, it really struck a chord. Uh, you say the Mormon church offers unconditional love to all provided you meet their long list of conditions, but anyone who has ever been imprisoned and isolated by its rhetoric, who is allowed to, who has allowed themselves to be convinced they are sick or sinful and who has felt as if there was no escape knows the truth. It's not love. It's abuse. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. First, I, ironically, I want to give I want to give a shout out to the guy that gave me the opportunity to write this, Nico Lang, um, who was an editor at Out at the time. And ironically, it is his one year anniversary of marrying his husband today. <laughs> so, very hmm. small world. But he, I, I wrote up a very polite version of this, and. Nico, who, um, who is not LDS, but had, had dated somebody who was and who was very aware of like the unique trauma and experiences of, of queer people in Utah, he's always thought to get our voices out there. And he encouraged me. He's like, I, like, I really, I know where you actually stand on this. I know how you actually feel. Like, what would you actually say? And then I, like, he, he empowered me to actually say it. So I'm very grateful to him, but it's, it's repeating a cycle of, it really is a cycle of abuse. You're constantly told, we love you, but then they'll turn down the gas lamp and say, you know, like, we love you, but you're not allowed into our heaven. 
we love you, but your mm-hmm. children are not worthy of our ordinances. We love you, but, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And it just kind of goes back to that, like, it, it's just such a toxic cycle. They really honestly are, they've been like, I feel like that's the hard part. We're being gaslit on both sides. Mormons are being gaslit into being told that this is a proper and acceptable expression of love, that this is the true love and that this is the love that Christ wants them to show because Christ is more interested in them following rules A, B, C, D, E than he is showing unconditional love. Like that dichotomy is so, I I feel like so hard for Mormons to reconcile with, which is why we see the church is so fractured with people who are like, you know, mama dragons, the the Mormons building bridges. You have tons of organizations within the church that are aggressively seeking to support the community. And on the other side, you have the community who has family members who continues to communicate this fractured love to them while continually conditions here in Utah get harder and harder, that suicide pandemic continues to escalate. And then Mm -hmm. when our legislators are asked about it, they talk about the elevation. And to be clear, like while the elevation, like we have seen some connections between this and Colorado, it doesn't address the social pandemic that is very obvious. Like the numbers are not perfectly aligned there is something more social and more sinister at stake and we know that a lot of utah kids are just unhappy and i can't say that the church is not a a big part of that right i think the expectations are unreasonable and you know especially in adolescence trying to Mm -hmm. navigate that it's you know just the feeling of worrying about disappointing somebody because you said a swear word, <laughs> you know, or, you know, even, even you know, reacting to natural sexual urges, There's you know, things so like that, shame. all of those things. Yeah. There is so much shame. You made you talked about, you know, excuse me, how Nico kind of challenged you to with your, how to end the, the article. It was interesting. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine the other day, And she had listened to my first episode where I had kind of talked about your article and my experience growing up Mormon. And she made a similar point. She said, you know, every time you made a point about how painful it was, you turned around and kind of made an excuse for the people who were doing it. Um, You know, and she's like, and that hurts me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I, I, I I kind of felt like I did the same thing that you did, kind of going through it and really challenging myself to to be honest and be authentic, but to have an outsider listen to it and hear that, you know, it, it really speaks to how deep the pain mm-hmm. is and how deep the wounds are. It's that weird thing of like years after the fact, you find yourself like, I don't think I question my validity, but sometimes I question the validity of my feelings. I find myself still consistently doing that of like, can I really be that mad at them? Can I like, and the answer should be yes. (laughs) It goes back to that anger is the emotion that tells you, you, you deserve to be treated better. Right. You know? So, you know, we always hear, 
things will get better. And I think that you're doing a lot of amazing work to make things better. So let's talk about that. I want to end things on a high note and give people <laughs> some hope, um, you know, and kind of talk about what active activism looks like in Salt Lake City and in Utah right now. I know that like, well, right now, of course, COVID is, has definitely like held right. things up significantly, but you have some people that are still doing amazing things. I think like the person I would put most on blast right now, because I feel like they've, they're doing almost more for Mormon queers than, than any other person I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Geraldine Poole of Queer Meals in Provo. And essentially they're a little, hmm. a very small nonprofit that she runs out of her home that just provides like emergency resource. So if you are a queer person in Utah County that needs food, that is having trouble finding housing, that is having trouble with, with things like that, reach out to Queer Meals. If Geraldine doesn't have it, she's got 80 connections for it. She's got emergency resources. She can get people somewhere safe. Like, so this is like if kids are coming out and they don't have a safe place to be. Utah law also, another thing to put people on blast, my friend June Hyatt helped spearhead a piece of legislation. And that piece of legislation has now made it so that kids, I believe starting at age, I want to say 15, I would have to double check that, 15 or 16 can start um, accessing homeless uh, homelessness resources, which allows now, like what it used to be was kids would run away from home, get to a shelter, and then be turned away and not have anywhere to go. So now in times of crisis, when a, if a queer kid, unfortunately, like the rate has gone down quite a bit, I want to, I want to mention is another bright side. We used to be, the, I think at one point the rate was something of like 70 to 80 percent of homeless youth in Utah were LGBT, and I know that number has gone down mm. significantly in the in the years that followed seeing that statistic. Um, but that piece of legislation has really helped a lot of of queer youth access things, and it also allows queer youth to like allow them to crash at friends' homes. They are no longer like in in fear of the law or some sort of overstepping of boundaries now. So that's been a really good thing. Um, also, like, there's just all sorts of great organizations that are supporting, like, marginalized youth. I know that uh, Rock Camp for Girls is a great, not girls, we changed our name. It is, uh, what is it? Rock Camp Salt Lake City. This is actually kind of a cool story. So this, this is an organization that's, I think, five years old this year. But essentially what it was, was when they began, it was an organization that was teaching uh, music and empowerment to girls. But as the like, conversation around gender became more complicated, the, the leaders there really started talking and were like, we want to make sure this is a place where trans children of, of gen any gender, uh, non-binary kids and girls can all come learn music, learn empowerment, learn how to build each other up, learn how to be anti-racist, anti-homophobic, anti-transphobic. And it's, I've, I've worked a lot with that organization. So if you want to send your kids to an empowering camp and you live in the Salt Lake area, like once COVID is over, please send us your kids. <laughs> but it's, that's amazing. It's, it's really beautiful. There's, there's a lot of great queer people doing amazing things and Salt Lake for all, for all the madness that is Utah, I feel like Salt Lake is so blessed to have a really thriving queer community. And it's definitely, it's a little, it's a lot sleepier <laughs> in the midst of, of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but definitely when that, when the dust all settles from that, we'll be, we'll be right back out there dancing our butts off and making some rock and music. It'll be great. Yeah, that is great. 
Um, so I came across a, a piece that talked about a bake sale that you, you had <laughs> yes, a few years ago. <laughs> Talk about that. So this is, uh, <laughs> I'm going to put another friend on blast, Hillary McDaniel. So Hillary is a very dear friend of mine and also a, a likewise a, a queer activist who comes from Mormon roots. Um, and it was right after uh, the case had been filed for the Supreme Court, Masterpiece versus uh, Colorado State. And that was the case that was essentially saying that a cake owner should have the right to refuse a queer couple because he does not believe in queer marriage. Um, and the, the moment that that happened, and this is really why we took hard action, but the LDS Church signed on amicus briefs supporting Masterpiece Bakery in the case of that, which number one, <laughs> red flag, a church shouldn't have, like, shouldn't put any emphasis on a case unless they're paying taxes, is my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, it was the entire Republican Senate signed on to amicus briefs here in Utah, our local Senate and our uh, local House. About 95 percent mm -hmm. of them did. And <laughs> which ironically matches right up with this statistic. And. I, I looked at Hillary and I said, wouldn't it be just absolutely ironic if we did a bake sale, but we charged straight people double and we raised money? And <laughs> <laughs> Hillary's suggestion was, well, what if we just did a bake sale and we did it like, can we do it in front of the church office building? And we, we started doing our research. We'd done, we'd both done some organizing by that point. And we managed to get the City Creek Park that is, is kitty corner to the church office building. It is the, mm -hmm. it is the uh, northeast corner across from the church office building. And we, I, I just put it out as a pipe dream. And Hillary's like, okay, but what if we really did it? And in three days over a weekend that I was out of town for, we coordinated uh, bakery pickup, bakery donations, like bakeries all over Salt Lake from like big chain stores to like private, beautiful patisseries. Like we're giving us mm -hmm. items to, to sell at the bake sale. And we lined up all these trays. We put up a bunch of rainbow flags. We brought an entire sound system with us. And we, we basically were just like, we're, we were so tired at this point. It, it was a couple of years into a Trump administration. We were very sleepy. And I, I, we both said we didn't want to stir things up. We'd already done actions against the church and it had already, it, 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 it had already caused some issues with me and my family. <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. we like, it all came together and we just, stood out there with this huge sound system i'm coming out blasting from the speakers staring down the church office building but we over the weekend between um donations we received during the bake sale and after the bake sale we raised about forty five hundred dollars and all of that money went to a suicide prevention a youth suicide prevention program specifically it was a i believe it was a a support group for survivors of suicide attempts. One of the statistics we don't often mm -hmm. talk about with suicide is that those who have attempted suicide are actually more at risk for a second time. I feel like the, the misconception mm -hmm. is if you've done it and survived, you aren't going to try again, but that's, it's a false statistic. So support groups like that are literally life-saving. So it was, it was yeah. wonderful to be able to do something like that. And it was 
really remarkable again like an or a thing that we threw together three days later on a whim um it was really <laughs> remarkable to see how much of the community turned out just came and danced there's some really remarkable photos one of my favorite photos is a friend of mine shell is wearing a rainbow flag as a cape and it's just dancing and somebody has angled it so like the whole church office building is right behind oh. her silhouette <laughs> it's just absolutely stunning but we like that's, that's something great. I feel like we can all do in all of the actions that we we take is is find a way to bring joy and community to your direct actions. Like that's something we are definitely. lacking, you know. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, the times make that difficult. Mm-hmm. But it things you thought it was a small idea, but it impacted. You know, I'm sure a number of people, and you were able to. Uh, raise much needed funds for an organization. So I challenge everybody, you know, like you said, once we kind of get out of this, uh, the pandemic and things start getting back to quote unquote normal, <laughs> you know, we can <laughs> think of, of ways to, to make the community better and to, you know, increase the visibility, increase the visibility because there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, we're recording this a week before the next election and, hoping for a, a good outcome there. Um, our, <laughs> our community has, <laughs> has struggled, you know, has met some challenges over the past four years, um, but we're resilient. And I think all of our stories, mm-hmm. you know, kind of prove that, that we're able to, in the, in the face of adversity, in the face of a organization like the church with such an influence, you're able to find those opportunities to make a difference in your community and that's really important so thank you for that thank you and it's it's something everyone can do and i i encourage everyone to do it we actually ironically i think if you go to the gayest bake sale ever.com i do believe hillary bought like an eternal squarespace uh site that will actually teach you how to host any of your own events it'll teach you like how to find out what your city requires, how to get permits, how to do things like that. Like if you are a novice to event organizing and you want to know what you need to do to cover your bases, it's a really great like like area to start with. It's not some good tools. That's That's amazing. So anybody can do it. So go, go do <laughs> yes. it. <laughs> and it takes all of us to do it. So we can't, you know, we can't sit right. by and expect somebody else to do it. Same goes for voting. Right. Do it after COVID. Do it after, <laughs> after COVID. COVID. <laughs> uh, or, you know, like you said, the, the organization in Provo able to provide resources during COVID. Um, so if you're able to, mm-hmm. you know, volunteer at a food bank or, you know, different things like that, um, where they're struggling to during these hard times, I think it, it's good to, to get out and uh, provide those volunteer opportunities where you can, if you're able to do that. I know, you know, times are tough right now. So be safe, wear your mm-hmm. mask. <laughs> be safe, wear your mask. And no matter which way the election goes, stay involved in politics. Absolutely. Like no matter which way it goes, it's going to be like, keep an eye out. The trans community is so vulnerable and regardless of an administration, it's always going to be a fight to get their rights. So yep. keep your eyes open and look out for all of our community for sure. for sure. And I, you know, to that point, I think if we do have a friendly administration, it gives us the opportunity to hold them accountable. You know, I think that absolutely this is about picking the guy that's gonna like if you have two people that you're gonna fight and one of them is gonna punch (laughs) you in the face and the other one's not going to pick the guy that's not gonna punch you to fight (laughs) like 
it's a it's a no-brainer like pick the like <laughs> pick the dude that's not gonna punch you in the face yep. right away <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well kat i really appreciate you taking the time it was a pleasure speaking with you tonight thank and, you uh, this has been a delight thank you for all that you're doing in utah <laughs> i i abandoned utah i couldn't do it so i i I, I will probably join you one tip day. Tip of the hat it's, to you. A, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the election is behind us, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been elected to be the next president and vice president of the United States. It took nearly four days for us to get the call, but on the morning of Saturday, November 7th, 2020, Spontaneous celebrations broke out in the streets of cities and towns across the country and around the world. There was a unified sigh of relief and lightness in the air that has been stifled for four years. While the overall election results were not what we had hoped for, the number one priority of electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris was achieved, and now the hard work of rebuilding and reunifying the country starts. It is vital that everyone who voted stay engaged and work to achieve the goals that were laid out in this election. There are countless organizations that you can become involved with and that can use your help and support. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nathan Out Loud. I especially want to thank Kat Kellermeyer for joining me and for sharing their story. If you have any feedback, would like to share your story, or just want to say hello, email me at comments at nathanoutloud.com or call the Nathan Out Loud listener line at 802 802- 32-B-OUT. That's 802-322-3688. You can follow the show on Twitter at Nathan Out Loud and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Nathan Out Loud fans. I'm also on Instagram at Nathan.OutLoud. Please be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll talk to you soon on the next episode of Nathan Out Loud. And in the meantime, come out, be out, live out loud.